Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson, and we have a really cool show for you today. Warren Sharp is our guest from Sharp Football Analysis. He is just one of the smartest guys breaking down the NFL. And Logan, full transparency to the audience, we already talked to him. And it was a really good conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. He was a very bright guy. And um, yeah, man, I just love the way he's thinking about football. I love the way he's breaking stuff down. So absolutely, you know, look forward to getting that conversation to you guys. Yeah. And then on the back end of that, Logan and I are going to react to some of that and kind of go deeper. And, you know, Warren is is great. And but our time with him was limited for today. So like we touched on a lot of big picture things and then a little bit, obviously, or I wouldn't say a little bit, a decent amount on the commanders, but not quite in the depth that I, I would have liked to get in if we had more time. So, Logan, we can dive into a lot more of the some of the stuff that he's pointed out. And I know he's also been putting stuff out on Twitter this morning. Uh, and some of the stats and where Washington ranks and how all the, the conversations interplay. So Logan and I will have more football talk on the back end of the conversation with Warren as if that somehow wasn't enough football talk. Obviously, the biggest story right now in commander's land is the continuing negotiations between Dan Snyder's lawyers and the House Oversight Committee because this is how this works. We're going to record this, and five minutes after we're done, the House Oversight Committee is going to put out a statement saying something. <laughs> Uh, we'll obviously find out. Uh, Dan Snyder yesterday saying that he will not accept uh, service of the subpoena, that they still like he will uh, appear voluntarily. And to break down like what that means, 
I would suggest anyone who wants more info on that to head to the Hoffman Show podcast feed and check out my interview with Alicia Jessup yesterday. And then, of course, if more news does break, we will have more on the Hoffman Show this afternoon on the Team 980 from 3 to 6 p.m. And we will have more, if, if you can't listen live, in our podcast feed there. Um, so we're not really going to touch on that story on this podcast today just because it is a fluid situation. It feels like something that could definitely have more breaking news uh, coming into the equation. And the last thing we want to do is put out a podcast and then have it be rendered mute by a statement from the House Oversight Committee five minutes after, like before it's even out. Because that's happened to us. Well, we're trying to remember what it what it was. Oh, it was last week. last week, yeah. With, with Trent Williams. We did a whole bit on about how uh, he, he didn't make the 90-person and it was unfair. Ballot. And, uh, and then... We stopped recording. I didn't even put the podcast out yet. And they said, uh, actually, we're putting Trent. And I felt and smart and validated you were because very we talked smart. about RG, and the RG made the ballot, too. Yeah. So, you know, that's why. I, but, I mean, also, the interview on your show was very good. So why do we need to retread ground there? Same voice. And also, you can listen to Craig's other podcast or his other show, which is always advantageous for everybody. Can you link that in the description or some crazy thing like yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, yeah. You're link someone it, who link listens, it. Link, listens to podcasts, clearly. Uh, <laughs> I will link the interview with Alicia. And really, actually, what I'll do is I'll link the 5 o'clock hour from yesterday's show in the description. Because not only was Alicia very good, um, I actually had two different lawyers call the show. Um, mm. And like, hey, I this is my area of expertise, or I come at this because Alicia was a prosecutor, and then we had a couple defense attorneys call and be like, well, I look at it this way, and so it was very good that whole hour of radio to get a lot of different perspectives from the legal field, considering how complicated a lot of this stuff is. So Alicia provided a ton of answers. Like one of the things I was wondering is like, how do you just do you just stay overseas and you can avoid the subpoena? And the answer is, if it's a congressional subpoena, yes. If it's a judicial subpoena, no. So like. I learned about judicial versus right. congressional subpoenas yesterday. And so all that stuff is, is in the podcast feed, again, at Hoffman Show, slash in the description, uh, as long as I remember to put it there, which uh, makes note. Okay, you I will. should remember yeah. to put it there. All right, so quick break, come back, and our chat with Warren Sharp, and then Logan and I will do more football on the back end of that. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today.
That's helloalma.com slash therapy60. Our guest today on Take Command is Warren Sharp. And Warren is simply one of the smartest guys analyzing the NFL. He has been working for years to create a number of statistics and different ways of looking at the game and kind of formulate them and, and make it really, frankly, easy to digest. And, and I think does an amazing job of establishing patterns and different things that a lot of us see, but then he can put numerical value to and, and then add context with analysis on top of that. So with that, Warren, welcome. I know that you are glad to be talking about all the research that you've done, not in the midst of doing it. Uh, congrats on the book that just came out as well. Uh, and, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's definitely much more fun meeting with guys like you guys as opposed to sitting around working until 3 a.m. trying to come up with something inventive or creative that people didn't know, as you just mentioned. You know, that's what I'm really trying to look for. I'm trying to find out why did teams not meet their goals every year? 31 teams don't meet their goal. And uh, and what did they change from last year to this year that might help them perform a little bit better? And so it's a ton of fun, but it's a ton of work. And I'm always glad when that day is done and the book is out. So obviously we'll talk a lot about the commanders uh, in that, but I know that one of the things that you do inherently in looking at all these different trends is see things that emerge league-wide. What are some of the things that you noticed on a league-wide scale in 2021 that you expect to maybe change in 2022? Well, change, I think it's going to be up to the offenses this year to adjust to the cover two shells that were being presented at such an alarming rate for them last season. We saw a lot of teams struggle with those, especially teams that pass the football a lot. Early in the season, all of a sudden, the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, got thrown a ton of the cover two shell that they had to figure out. And they started throwing the ball even shorter than they typically do. Um, and now they're going to be dealing without Tyree Kill, and they're going to try to have to figure out how to gain more yards after the catch, despite Hill, who's one of the best in the NFL. Um, there's a lot of other teams that were dealing with that as well. The Philadelphia Eagles, a team in your uh, own division, they were passing the ball at an insane rate to start last season, and they realized that defenses were playing outside of the box. They were dropping guys back. They weren't filling the box. Actually, Jalen Hurts saw the third lowest rate of seven-plus men in the box on early downs through the first seven weeks of the season. And so they adjusted to that, and they started running the ball a lot more. But how will defenses choose to play them now that they have been running the ball uh, so much? So last year was this... Uh, more of the cover two shell that was being presented. And I think it's now up to the offenses to try to figure out a way to adjust for that this off season and be better prepared entering the year. Um, and when you're talking about cover two shells, do you draw a distinction between quarters and, and cover two? Or are you simply just denoting like a middle field open structure uh, when you're making that analysis? Mostly middle field open. Uh, we saw a much higher rate of that being played last season. Um, any type of coverages that invite the run is basically what we saw rise last year compared to years past. And defenses intelligently are trying to do that more. I mean, when you looked at the Buffalo Bills, one of the biggest issues that kind of I anticipated they would be facing entering the season given their 20. 20 year uh, and how they rode to uh, Josh Allen to the championship and Brian Dayball started passing the ball a whole lot more was what if defenses try to get us to run the football more because we're not really good at running the football and we don't really want to run the football and we know the rules 
are totally skewed in the NFL towards favoring the offenses. Uh, for years, they've been making these adjustments to increase scoring because they know that that increases fan interaction, more people watch the games, fantasy football, all this type of stuff. It depends on people scoring points on the football field. And so we have seen those rules be thrown to the advantage of the offense teams intelligently most teams there are still some that don't and that's who we call out in the book of course that run the football too much on early downs but most of these teams have started passing the ball a bit more that pass rate has increased and now it's going to be very interesting as defenses try to invite the run more and they're okay with Look, on first and second down, I'd rather the Chiefs run the ball for four yards a carry. And if they face third and short, so be it. But I don't want to give up a nine-yard pass from Patrick Mahomes to Tyree Kill on first down. But obviously that philosophy has its limitations, right? Like, uh, who was it? LA, the L.A. Chargers last year. They are known that in that Brandon Saley defense for inviting the run. But then you average over five yards a carry. And obviously that's not a tenable solution moving forward. So you need to kind of walk that razor's edge, correct? Absolutely. And the Chargers went and made some of the moves this offseason to try to help fix that problem. Fortunately, they were one of the defenses that were able to do that and address that because they have Justin Herbert on his rookie deal. And so he's cheap. And so they were able to go out there. Their GM was able to pick up specific players to try to help fill that void. He took uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, just plucked him right off of the Rams, and he is a great run-stuffing DT. Um, And so I think they're going to be much better prepared for that this year. As you alluded to, they were the worst team defending the run last season. Staley wants to invite the run. You know, Vic Fangio wants to invite the run. But when you don't have somebody up there who could play that position, it's going to be difficult. And that's why I think a guy like a Jordan Davis was such a hotly contested commodity this year because he's such a big defensive tackle you could stick there and hopefully play on at least the first two downs and try to lighten your box but still be able to slow down the run enough that offenses aren't really sure and they're put into conflict like do we try to run we're not gaining the five yards of carry like we were against the chargers but they've got so many guys in the secondary that are able to flood the coverage lanes that it's going to be difficult for us uh, to throw the football. And so that's where you would rather have the offenses being in the state of conflict where they're really not sure what the best strategy is to attack your defense. So as far as the commanders go, you said you try to identify why every team doesn't reach their goals. I think there's some obvious ones last year, injury, they had the COVID situation and like there's stuff beyond the football strategy that clearly impacted their season. There's also a lot of football stuff that impacted their season that did not go well last year. What are the things you identified for Washington as areas to to work on and fix, whether via personnel transactions or by strategy in 2022? Well, I think from a talent perspective at the quarterback position, you now have the most talented quarterback that that you've had for several years in terms of what his arm talent is able to do. I think the frustration that you guys may run into, though, is just – the, the things that you watched him struggle with in Philadelphia and some of those is, is brain farts like on these key clutch situations uh, his ratio of sacks and interceptions on third downs is one of the highest in the NFL he freezes up and clutches up in some of those key critical situations the same is true when he's down inside of the red zone the last couple of years um, the other thing that I think Carson Wentz really has struggled with over the last couple of years uh, since he's returned from injury we know he suffered injury uh, the ACL the year they won the Super Bowl then he started off camp the next year rehabbing that and then the following offseason uh, is when he hurt his back and so he was coming back from that and rehabbing that in the offseason uh, dealing with some back issues his accuracy 
accuracy has has been terrible. Uh, actually, out of all quarterbacks that have thrown at least 600 attempts over the last two years, he ranks dead last in the NFL in quarterback accuracy. Um, the one thing that you guys do a good job of, and Scott Turner has done a good job of this, um, is trying to make accuracy not as big of an issue for the various quarterbacks that have worked through your system by lowering the A dot. And you guys have the lowest A dot in terms of depth of target on what's, early uh, excuse downs. Excuse me, what, Warren, what's A dot? Can you explain that, please? Yeah, it's it's average depth of target. You're, okay. You guys are throwing the ball closer to the line of scrimmage than any other team in the NFL over these last couple of years. And in some ways, that's a positive because the quarterback, A, he doesn't have to worry about the offensive line pressure. And so that's another thing I'll transition to in a second um but b you're able to get higher percentage completions when you're just getting the ball into these receivers hands closer to the line um and when that occurs you're going to have more opportunities in general for yards after the catch the problem is though that it can become too predictable for the defenses and you're not challenging them enough down the field i think carson provides that dynamic and that element where he will be trusted more to push the ball down the field compared to some of these other quarterbacks that you've had to work with i mean we we, alex smith like it would have been fun to see ryan fitzpatrick in this offense for a little while unfortunately you know that didn't work out but um Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke, like now we've got a quarterback who will be trusted more to push the ball down the field to some of your more uh, dynamic wide receivers, but then it becomes incumbent upon your offensive line. I think the offensive line is one of the most interesting elements that I wrote about in the book, and that's because you look at uh, sites like Pro Football Focus, and they've consistently graded your offensive line top five in pass protection and and, and blocking in general. But the key question that I have is – is that primarily driven by the fact that the quarterbacks are getting rid of the ball so quickly? Because we have found, based on analytics, that quarterbacks actually control a lot of the pressure that they take on. Um, you know, at first we viewed like five, ten years ago, it was always about like the offensive line. How good's the line? How good's the line? But now what we're realizing is quarterbacks can help control how much pressure gets invited, how many sacks they take by how quick their decision making is and how quickly they're throwing the football and how low is that a dot and when you've got a team like Washington who's throwing the ball so short all of the time um, it's definitely going to make your O-line look better like they can handle pass protection better but when I go back and I look at okay isolate only the plays where they threw the ball beyond the first down marker or isolate only the plays on like second and third and long where they have to throw the ball at least eight yards where their pass goes at least eight yards Um, they're they're average to below average in pressure rates for the quarterbacks over the last couple of years. So this is an instance where I think some of the pro football focus grades are uh, over accounting for something that I think is actually more of a limitation and a problem compared to, uh, and, and that's going to be an issue for Carson because Carson doesn't do as well under pressure. And this is when Carson tends to have some of his struggles. So if that O-line is inviting pressure and he's not throwing the ball as quickly as you know Washington's been doing recently, he's trying to push the ball further down the field, that could be a problem for uh, Carson and the commander's offensive line this upcoming season. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that because I, a lot of what I watch when I watch the team, I feel that innately, but it's interesting to hear you quantify it. Okay, so I got kind of a nerd question for you. My dad graduated from MIT and he is an aerospace engineer. So he talks about statistics and how statistics are kind of, you can cultivate a statistic to support your narrative, right? To support something you're seeing. How do you try to combat that or avoid that as best you can? Like, 
Because you can isolate almost any variable, you know, and say, oh, this person does really well in this situation, this person does really well in this situation. But how do you aggregate that to kind of create an accurate picture, A, of the individual and B, of the team? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, obviously you can make statistics say anything you want um, from a bias perspective. And so the goal is to try to remove as much bias from it. So you, uh, the way that I do it is I'm looking at, I start from a top-down approach where I can compare all the teams together and throw them in the same bucket and say, okay, where's Washington out of all of these teams in like the most uh, biggest sample size scenarios, right? And once I do something like that, then I say, okay, it looks like they're struggling in these particular areas. Let's dig in there. And then I go back and watch the film and see if I'm picking up on any of that as well. Uh, the other thing that I try to look at is I try to remove a lot of the really high leverage situations that tend to skew results. And what I mean by that is red zone, third downs. These are situations that are going to really have a high impact on your overall outcome of your game. Teams make only, I want to say like, it might be like 2.3 trips to the red zone every single game. Inside the 10-yard line, it's like 1.2 trips inside the 10-yard line every single game. But if you walk away with seven points there versus a turnover on downs, it's massively going to impact your final scoring output. And I try to look, try to avoid looking too much at red zone statistics. What we know is that the football field's 100 yards long. What happens in the 80 yards of that football field is going to be more predictive for the upcoming season as to how good your offense might be than what happened in those 20 yards down near the end zone. But what is going to have the bigger impact on what you did last year is going to be that red zone scoring. How much were you, how many points were you walking away on average when you got down there? That's going to dictate how many games you won or lost more than what you did over those 80 yards. So I focus more on the 80 yards. I also focus more on early down. I try to pull out third downs because third downs are a reactive down for play callers. Play callers, based on down and distance and situation, they know automatically what's going to happen on third down, what they have to call in order to convert a first down. I want to see what their strategies and their philosophies are on first and second down in the first half of games, right? In the first half of games, that's where we'll get the true philosophy. So when I try to focus on what statistics are most important that paint the most accurate picture, you know, you can have a team that did really great on third downs, but the early down stuff was not nearly as good. And thus, you know, you're going to have a better outlook of that football team because the third downs were such a critical part in them being a good football team or teams that did really well in the fourth quarters or teams that did really well inside the red zone. I'm trying to pull back and focus on things that I think are bigger drivers to efficiency and to win games and the simple way that you win games in football. It sounds easy when you break it down to this level, but the reality is Third down avoidance and scoring in the first half. If you're good at avoiding third downs and you get points on the board in the first half, then other teams on offense, because this is an offensive-driven league, will have to change their second-half philosophy to try to play catch-up and your defense will have a better idea of what they're going to be running in that second half because they're desperate and trying to come from behind. And what was the one thing I said at the top that makes 
offense bad, it's predictability. And when those offenses in the second half become predictable against your defense, it helps your defense more. And then your offense can be completely unpredictable in the second half playing with a lead. You can choose to throw the football. You can choose to run the football. You can do whatever you want because you have that lead. And so that's the biggest things that uh, highest, most important elements of football are first halves and early downs within those first halves specifically on offense and that's what I focus on a lot more than some of the other statistics that have higher leverage that's really interesting because you know now if you were to go into a meeting room the first thing they say is we got to be good in the red zone we got to be great on third down right because those things are have traditionally been indicators of success but you're saying no and no and I don't want to put words in your mouth but is that because those situations are higher variance year to year and less consistent or is it more that, or is it more the reactive nature of those environments, like you mentioned? It's more the reactive nature. You well, it's a little because, bit because of both. because it's, because you create a game plan. You create a third down game plan based on what you've seen on film, right? So to me, you are dictating uh, to a certain extent to the defense, right? I understand what you're saying by the reactive. I don't disagree with that, but there is a game plan component, a philosophical component in the red zone and on third down. But you take those out of the metric, which I find fascinating because every coach, that's the thing that they beeline to right away in their analysis. Well, and real quick, Warren, before you react to that, I I think the other interesting thing of what you said is if you look backwards, those statistics can help suss out who was successful and not, but they are not necessarily predictive moving forward. And that seems like a very important line. Yeah, that's a very important distinction. They aren't predictive. When I am helping some coaches game plan for games and coming up with their strategies that they should use for a specific opponent that they're going to face in two weeks, absolutely, I'm also going to come up with strategies on third down, strategies in short yardage, strategies inside the red zone for attacking the weaknesses of those defenses. And so those are important situations, important uh, game situations that you have to be good at in order to win those games. Mm -hmm. But the reason why you have to be good in those situations is, is to your first point, which is they are so high leverage and the variance there matters a ton for how your final result's going to be. But when you look back on the season, those high leverage situations aren't quite as predictive moving into the future because, you know, I care on in, in a game, you're going to have more first and second downs than you will third downs. And so I want to look at how you're performing on those situations, how good your offense is. Typically speaking, if you're a good early down offense and you're good in 80 yards of the football field, I'm expecting you, as long as there aren't many changes from a personnel perspective or coaching perspective, and the defenses that you're going to be going up against are relatively equal year over year, you are going to be better in the red zone and on third downs if you happen to be poor the year before in those smaller sample size, higher leverage situations, and you're probably going to have a higher ceiling. That's why I'm looking at those teams to try to like bet on or take in the upcoming season if they struggled on third down and, and there was really not a reason specifically why that was. It was just bad variance or they struggled inside of the red zone. Um, so there's no doubt you have to execute, but there are... I, I will tell you, Logan, most coaches around the league don't understand the absolute importance of third down avoidance and um, being an efficient offense to bypass these third downs and why you would want to race out to a lead at halftime. They're mostly focused on, you know, you're going up against a tough opponent. Let's make sure that we're in this thing in the fourth quarter. Let's give ourselves a chance to win. Let's not lose this game in the first quarter. 
They focus on the negatives as opposed to, let's jump out to a quick lead. Let's play super aggressive on early downs in the first quarter here. Let's try to build ourselves a lead. Most coaches that I talk to, you know, I, some of them I'm able to change their mind and they look at it a little bit different way. But um, you're right. There's a lot of uh, conservative nature amongst some coaches, especially those with quarterbacks that they don't have the utmost confidence in. But that's what's so ironic is that when you have a quarterback that you don't have a lot of confidence in and you're a little concerned and let's say you're playing a really good opponent and you just want to try to take it easy on this guy and just put him in situations that he can win and don't put too much on his plate and all these things, what ends up happening? You end up running the football probably a lot on early downs. You end up facing a lot of third downs, which are known passing situations for this quarterback that you don't love. And now the defense knows exactly what's happening. The reality is for young quarterbacks or less experienced quarterbacks, most of these guys are going to perform better on first down. Most of these guys are going to get pressured less when you drop back to pass on first down. So why aren't you starting the game letting this quarterback have the ball in his hands and pass the football more. And it doesn't, it seems counterintuitive because, oh, we want to protect this guy. We don't want to put him in these situations. But the reality is doing that at the beginning of games are, is an easier place for that quarterback to be in. If you really care about helping him, put him in those situations. Don't let him be losing in the fourth quarter and trying to come back and throw the ball. And the defense knows what's happening. I mean, it makes 100% makes sense. You'd you'd rather always be the aggressor than be on the receiving end of aggression. Um, With that said, if memory serves correctly, Washington was terrible on third down last year, offensively and defensively, Terrible terrible on first and second down and terrible at scoring points in the first half. All those things. So so this leads to the final question we have for you, Warren Sharp, is we have reached the end of our time. Uh, As you look at your predictive statistics, uh, do you have good news for us on the Washington Commanders or are you about to make everyone sad? Well, I would like to make you guys, I would like to make you happier, but the reality is, as you mentioned, uh, you only had the lead at halftime in six games last year, Um, so you need to be a little bit more aggressive early on. I am curious to see the run rate. I think Scott Turner does a great job with his high play action rates, his high pre-snap motion rates, um, and, and generally speaking, his higher pass rates, but you have to figure out a way to keep Carson Wentz out of these bad situations on third downs where he tends to have these issues. And you'll do a better job of that if you're able to build those leads. And so I think it's ultra important that you guys do try to come out passing the football early. I like Terry McLaurin being paired with Carson because he's one of the best receivers that he's the best quarterback that McLaurin has ever worked with in the NFL. I like your new draft pick. I think that you guys need to come out a little bit more aggressively throwing the football and trying to get after opponents. But I will say a positive. Your defense will look better this year. Your defense, as you admitted, was terrible on third down. In fact, the worst defense in the league on third downs. On early downs, you know where you ranked? 17th. So I think that that will be more predictive year over year. You are also the number one thing that de- that uh, happens when you play, uh, that you're trying to uh, grade out a defense is what are the offenses that you're playing? You guys played the number one most difficult schedule of offenses in the NFL last year, including the number one most difficult schedule of quarterbacks. You know what I am forecasting for you this year? The fifth easiest schedule of opposing offenses and the fourth easiest schedule of opposing quarterbacks. So I think life is going to get a lot easier for your defense. They will look better this year, but your offense still needs to come a little bit more aggressive. Carson can't make those key mistakes in critical situations, and you have to put him in better situations than you've put your other quarterbacks. Makes sense. Uh, where can people get the book? 
sharpfootballanalysis.com or if you're a guy who loves Twitter like I do, just check out at sharpfootball and you can see my pinned tweet and it's right there. Uh, it's on early bird sale right now and I highly suggest you guys try to give it a read. It's got a lot of work information on the commanders, but also 31 other teams. Uh, it's 564 pages in total, so there's a ton there for you to digest no matter what you're interested in. If I were to try to read that, I would finish it sometime before the 2024 season, but I at the very least will get it and read the Washington section to make me smarter about the team that I talk about every single day. Warren, thanks so much uh, for doing this. We appreciate it and hope to have you back at some point uh, in the not-too-distant future. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Continuing on Take Command. All right, Logan, that was a great conversation with Warren. What's your biggest takeaway from that strategy, something specific to the commanders, whatever it is? Like, what's, what's the big one? Well, I think he just did a really good job of encapsulating what football is becoming like this is stuff that like I, I i don't know if i mentioned on the show but kyle has talked about a lot of these principles like when i was in his system especially when i was in san francisco you know the importance of first and second down and how third down while that is a money down that is a critical element of the game and you need to be successful there to win football games first and second down put you in a good position to be successful on third down kyle used to say like if it's second and eight and we have a seven-yard play, and it's third and one. The entire playbook is at our disposal for third and one. We're not in our third down calls necessarily. We're not in our third and fives. We're not in our third and sixes. We're not in our third and tens, which are very unique calls on the call sheet, right, which are a much smaller percentage of your overall playbook. And for him to say we have 100% at our disposal, I think is a really forward-thinking philosophy, right? And then if you can avoid, avoid third downs by kind of staying on rhythm as a play caller, when you watch good offensive drives, they only have maybe two or three third downs like in that series. There, there will be a third down. It's an inevitability. But I think that's really interesting. And then also I think the thing you brought up about first down, if you don't trust your quarterback taking advantage of that, to me that is such good thinking, right? Because literally every single play is at your disposal. You have runs. You have play actions. You have keepers. You have screens. You have quick game. You have your five-step. You have your uh, – Seven-step dropback, it's all there for you. And the defense is, and you have an advantage over the defense because they, they know they have to defend all of that spectrum. Now, you know, they have certain tells based on formations and things like that. But I think that is the way the game should be going. And people should be thinking about the game. And that is, is really exciting to hear that analytic side of that. And the other thing, sorry, this is a long talk here. But the other thing is, is a lot of my observations, a lot of my feelings, a lot of those kind of things that you intuit when you watch the games and you watch the film, he had numbers associated with that. Like the offensive line thing I thought was really interesting because the offensive line is always graded super high, but I'm always like, 
I don't think the the group production is that high to warrant a top five grade necessarily. So that stuff was really cool to see how he was able to kind of parse out certain elements of the game and, and kind of get to a, a position where I was, where I, I believed the team actually is, just from kind of breaking down the numbers, which is incredibly hard to do, I would imagine. Yeah, the way he combines film study and numbers and kind of his process, I'm glad that we asked about that and, and that he gave a really cool insight into that because it does have to match up. You can have an intuition yeah. or you can see numbers, and if it doesn't match up with what you're seeing, then you need to figure out, like, what's the hole what? in your formula. Um, I, I think that the the red zone stuff and the third down stuff is, is just really fascinating to me because, yeah. you know, he said, like, if you're bad on – like, if I'm looking back, the teams that were – bad in the red zone are at the bottom of the standings the teams that are bad in third down are bottom of the standings but let's say you're looking at 2020 numbers trying to and then comparing them to 2021 it's not as straight of a line and so as a predictive measure as he's looking ahead it's like oh no no no. these teams that have a good process are the ones that are ultimately going to get results and i and i think that's fascinating circling back uh, to what you were saying though um on the first down quarterback thing and I remember this with Dwayne here, and obviously talking about Dwayne always now feels weird in a very different context because we tragically lost him. But just speaking like pure football, pure quarterbacking, um, when he was here, like that was something I didn't really understand and something that was a huge fight behind the scenes, I think. And like when I say fight, I I don't mean to overdramatize it, but like these are the kinds of disagreements that happen in, in offensive meeting rooms. So like it's a work disagreement. It is what it is. But between like Kevin O'Connell, who's far more new school and, and you know, a, more of a Kyle Shanahan type of thinking, and Bill Callahan, who is Mr. Old School Run the Football, is like, to protect Dwayne, we have to run him first down. And Kevin would be like, no, that's when the coverage is going to be most predictable. And I think that's right. something that it took me a while to understand covering the league and like really diving into the film is the reason you get so many exotic blitz looks on third down and you don't see that self on first and second down is because players like linebackers, let's say who are blitzing or DBs that are blitzing don't have a run responsibility. They don't care if it's third and nine, you're not getting run on. And so because of that, you can play defense differently and it becomes way harder for the quarterback to figure out one, where the pressure is coming from and two, what the coverage is because it oftentimes becomes this like mixed exotic kind of look that doesn't neatly fit into what you're supposed to do against quarters or cover two or cover three. And obviously you experience that from the tight end position and trying to figure out what route you're supposed to run or the angles that you're coming out on. Like you talked about on the last podcast, it's like your quarterback might want you on to do this on cover three. And you know that, but if it's like, cover four and a half because what the hell are they doing on third down like good luck getting on the same page and getting open and having the quarterback read it the same way and all that kind of stuff and so I think that's such an astute point by Warren that is backed up by the data that a lot of younger coaches I think are 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 get it taking like they get it right and because it's logic and but I think it just goes so far against the grain or so intensely against the grain of the way football has been thought about for years and years and years and years that a lot of coaches and executives still really, really struggle with the idea that the way to protect someone is to let them be more aggressive. Yeah, and it's not even, I don't even know if it's letting the player be more aggressive, but I think it's letting the play caller be more aggressive is the thing right. that really comes That's out really of it, well right? Put. Is, is when the play caller is more aggressive, it, it it 
it, it, it dictates certain things to the defense, right? So, like, I just think back to the first game of last year's season with um, when the Chargers came out here, and the way they called the game was so fantastic because it kept the defense totally reactive, right? They were able to kind of run a little bit of quick game, run a play action, run a screen, and they did that all on first and second down. And everyone's like, why isn't the pass rush getting home? Why can't they do anything there? It's because the, the rushers, the defense had no opportunity to just kind of say, this is going to be a pass. And the play caller for them, Lombardi, did a great job of kind of just keeping everyone unsettled. And I think that is something that is is really, really fantastic to kind of keep in perspective, is is the play caller needs to be dictating to the defense, not the other way around. Because you mentioned the third down thing, and I will tell you, a, a third down meeting in the NFL feels like a fight for your life. Because they've got these crazy blitz packages, they've got all these crazy blitz patterns, they've got these crazy coverage shells, because they know that they can basically do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want from a coverage standpoint. It's like seven on seven on steroids, third down in the NFL. And like you mentioned, the linebackers don't have responsibilities. And one of the things that Brandon Staley, who's a very forward-thinking coach, said that I think is very astute. It's like, well, why would you ever run the football if there's all this statistical prevalence to throwing to, to, to throwing the ball? And he said, I want linebackers and defensive linemen to think and have to spend time in the week learning how to defeat blocks. And that's exactly what you're doing on, on third down is you're removing that completely from the table and you're letting all these freak athletes do what they want. Like I remember being in the blitz meeting just being like, holy cow, Like how do you see this? And they can do that structurally because there's nothing else going on. Like There's no run. There's nothing else. You've got to get 10 yards. And it gets a little bit crazy. So I, I think it's a very astute observation. And, and the smart guys that I was around, Kyle, Sean, Mike McDaniel, did a great job of understanding that. And they, they, did they prep the hell out of third down? Absolutely. But did they prep first and second down almost just as much, which is a very unusual thing to do? Yes. I think that, that, that needs to be drawn home. It's like how important those early downs are for success. And you brought up an interesting statistic. I don't want to butcher it. But second down runs after an incomplete pass for the commanders, I think, is a very telling statistic. Yeah, so Dan or, uh, Warren was, was tweeting about this this morning. And, and again, Warren's book is available, and it has all kinds of stuff on, you know, from statistics like this to team-specific stuff to league trends. But the, the one that he was tweeting out this morning was second down run rate after an incompletion. So first and 10, incomplete, come back at second and 10. What are you doing? Best teams in the NFL, Tampa, Cincy, Kansas City, 11%, 18%, 21%. Those are the lowest three rates, which I would argue are the best three rates in the league. And this the best, is, yeah. by the way, just in the first half of games, because as Warren talked about, second half strategy changes. Washington is tied for fourth highest along with Minnesota and Chicago at a whopping 64%. The other teams above them, Tennessee, which actually makes sense because it's like, ah, first down, incomplete. Let's give it to Derrick Henry, third and three. (laughs) Um, And then you've got Detroit at 66% and the Giants at an absolutely hellacious 70%. They were running on second and 10 after an incompletion. But Washington at 64%, almost two-thirds of the time, which means that you are, one, strategically inferior, and two, predictable, which is like the two worst things you can be. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And again, like that's one of those things where you'd say, oh, we need to get back to third and manageable. But 
the best way to do that is to not be super predictable. Like look at the look at the the three offenses that you mentioned are probably some of they're definitely in the top five in terms of offensive production in terms of not being predictable after an incomplete pass and they trust their quarterback. They do a lot of different things, and that's a big element of this. And hopefully Carson Wentz bring, brings an element of trust to this offense that allows them to say, hey. We don't need to run the football. We can do some stuff in terms of screen, quick game, whatever, you know, bubble screen, all this kind of stuff. But I do think that that's something that it's alarming. It's alarming to see that. And and I know they run a lot of RPO, and that might be, you know, like they're reading in in a second and ten situation. If you do have an RPO called, even though there's a pass element to it, you're probably going to hand the ball off. And that's there needs to be some awareness by the coaching staff that when you're doing that, that's the path you're leading the quarterback down and you're leading the offense down. And to me, that's that's not great process and uh, I think the other thing that really stuck out to me is everyone um, you know people are advocates for running the football running the football running the football and I'm a person of that cloth but the running game has to be married with the pass concept they can't be two in- individual things it can't be like the run game over here the pass game over here they have to be meshed and one of the reasons I believe that is because when, what he said off the air, which I think we should have got him recorded on this, but yeah, we were, we said, were wrapping up and then uh, we kept talking and I was like, damn, I wish I was still recording. Yeah. And he said that I said, oh, what about big plays? Big plays seem to be a pretty good indicator of, of offensive production. He said the likelihood of scoring, not having a play of plus 15 yards is 5%. Once you get up one play above 15 yards, it becomes 55% or something crazy like that. And I look yeah, at that 55. and I say, and I look at that and I say, those excellent drives against Tampa Bay, those excellent drives against uh, the Raiders when they when this when the Commanders were being um, very productive, and I was like, this is what you get when you run the football. Those are the five percent. They're not very likely to be successful because they didn't have any explosive plays. And so, how do you manufacture those plays? You run the football, but you got play pass, you got keepers, you got stuff off of that that allows this offense to blossom and be more effective. And that's something I think we both are hoping that Carson Wentz brings to this group. Yeah, definitely. Let me ask you this: as an offense, is third and seven that much different than third and ten anyway? Like the idea that you run the ball, get three yards, like. Are you really in that much better of a spot anyway? Like, obviously, it's a better, but, like, significantly? Yeah. Does that change your call sheet? Like, I, I would think not until you're down to, like, third and three type of area. That's that's a good question. I think it depends on the coordinator. Some coordinators are like, oh, it's third and five. This is kind of our cutoff point. Some people are like, this is third and seven. This is our cutoff point. Some people are like third and eight. And I know those numbers seem completely arbitrary, but that's just the coach's preference, to be quite frank, right? Um, and so it depends. And there are certain coaches that if you can get to third and six, they're not going to run their crazy blitz package. Or you're not going to get like uh, um, Zimmer, for example. He runs that crazy double A where you get four overloaded away from the call and it really just stretches every single protection rule you got. And he won't do that if it's less than third and eight. So if you can get in there and you're surviving and you're fighting because you don't want to see that, you don't want your backs to have to read stuff and pick stuff up. You don't want your old lineman to have to double bump, all that crazy stuff. Yeah, do something to get yourself out of third and 10. But that's not every DC, right? Every DC doesn't do that. And so I think that that's something to be considered. Like where that cutoff is makes a big difference. And like, so against Zimmer, yeah, maybe you run a run on second down to get yourself in third and seven. So you don't see that package. But most DCs don't have that cutoff. It's third and five. So yeah, third and seven would be the same as third and 10 for them in terms of what you're going to see in the availability of stuff. Um, now following up where you were with, with Carson, um, yeah, I mean, obviously we hope to see a lot better production on first and second down this year. And this was kind of my biggest question 
with him coming in is this is an offense that likes to get the ball out quick, and obviously we we are hoping that that comes down just a tick as in they have more big explosive plays. We just explained the importance of that. You can either score 5% of the time or more likely than not, 55%. Yeah. I would take the 55%. Taking shots seems worth it. Maybe not quite all PI offense, but, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, let's push the ball down the field vertically let's a little bit. Field, but yeah. one thing I will add, uh, and I promise that I'll, this is the longest run-on sentence that I've had uh, at least today, uh, but yesterday, who knows. <laughs> the point is, one other thing Warren said and, and when we were talking off the air was it doesn't have to come in air yards. Yes. It can come in run after catch and designing run after catch because San Francisco under Kyle, who has consistently had one of the best offenses, they get a ton of yard after catch. And I, as I was thinking about that, I thought of one, the accuracy that Jimmy G has in throwing and two, Kyle understands that getting the ball to the good players is the way you win football games. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it gets way like coordinators get way off into whatever X's and O's. And it's just like, Hey, you want to be good. If you're Kyle Shanahan, get the ball to Debo Samuel. He'll, he'll figure out the yards after catch by having the ball, catching it and then doing his Debo Samuel stuff. And with Terry and now Jahan, a guy who's got some punt return shake with Curtis, like that should be way easier. But as Warren said, the biggest question with Carson and my question when he got here to bring this all back to where I was going in the first place is his accuracy. Is he mm-hmm. the guy that can get the ball quick, get it out quick and get it out accuracy, accurately in timing, in rhythm and hit the guy between the numbers so that, yeah, OK, you caught it, but there's no yards after catch there because you had to reach behind you or dive forward. Or can he actually really hit these guys in stride and let the athletes that are on the outside and in the backfield getting out, Gibson and McKissick, make plays in space and, and, and do the things that they're capable of doing? Yeah, so there's two parts to my answer. One would be I think you got to look at the Kyle Shannon offense and say like what they're doing. Kyle is excellent at scheming guys open in that short area, so that doesn't have to be a perfectly accurate throw. And what I mean by that, this is kind of maybe the simplest example, is they run so much outside zone. They run a ton of outside zone, and then they have great play actions and great kind of pick plays off of that. They're always in kind of condensed formation, so like the receivers are close to the offensive linemen, and it lends itself to kind of uh, blocking uh, defenders from getting to where they need to go and allowing you to get across formations and really stress rules, right? And so Kyle does a nice job of scheming that stuff up. And so while you want to make a one-to-one comparison and say, is Carson accurate enough to get these guys in a run-after-a-catch uh, scenario, I say I'm more concerned with Scott Turner's ability to put those guys in the correct situation to, to be in space, right? And then obviously Carson has to hit them. That's, that's a given. But there's a bigger margin for error when, just as an example, you're running hard run action to the right on outside zone. Everybody and their mom is running right. And then George Kittle leaks out to the left and there's nobody there. Like I've seen Jimmy G sail that ball. George catches it and there's still not a person around him within 15 yards. And George can... George is excellent after the catch, right? Same with Debo. And so understanding how to get your guys in space off of play actions, that's how Kyle does it, right? If you look at uh, Travis Kelsey up in, uh, in, in, in Kansas City, for example, they do it formationally, right? So how do you, Scott Turner, find a way to get your guys in space? Because that was the other thing he said, which I thought was interesting. Separation is maybe the biggest driver of yards after catch. And so when you watch Jahan in practice in the OTAs, excellent separator right but that's him just being a a magician on his own 
Scott, how do you make that a priority in this offense? So Carson and so these guys, you mentioned Jahan Shake, you mentioned Terry's excellent after the catch ability, Curtis Samuel, all those guys. That to me is where I look. I, I don't look so much at Carson. While that is important, I look to Scott and say, this is, this is a statistical relevant, statistically relevant piece of information here. How do we maximize this within this offense with these guys who are these tremendous space players? Did you see that last year and did you see it? You know, because like you, I'm always curious and asking about, or cautious in a way, about asking about last year because you've said watching this offense in the spring was completely yeah. different because of the stuff that becomes available because of the threat of throwing the ball downfield. So, right. did you see that stuff last year, and then did you see any of it in the spring, or do you think that's that stuff we're going to be looking for big time in training camp and into the regular season because we haven't seen it yet? I think this offense is a little bit different. I, I don't think it abides by this space principle the same way. I think, I think it creates space, in, just in a different way than most offenses. Most the two offenses I described, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And what I mean by that is they run like let's just talk about like that double post to the right of the formation and a high cross coming across from the left. So double post on the right, high cross coming across on the left. And there is space in that, but it's a longer developing play, and you're kind of relying on your horses to be fast and create separation with their speed. Now you've cultivated an offense that supports that, right? And so right. when you don't have those pieces, it becomes a little bit more challenging. So I think maybe Scott's thinking, well, now I've got these tremendously fast players. I've got these tremendously kind of explosive route runners. I can run some more of these concepts, and Carson can get the ball there with good timing, and there will be space there because of their athletic skill set. I don't see him necessarily scheming guys open the same way that, from formationally, that you know a guy like Andy Reid does, and then conceptually the same way that Kyle does, right? And those are different offenses. There's different approaches. This offense has been very successful in the NFL for a long time, since Eric Coriel in San Diego, right? But I, do, I would like to see more effort on his part to kind of find ways to create easy throws, as opposed to these like deep down the field, only play action, only drop back. Let's just work some pick concepts. Let's work formational tells. Let's see if we can get guys in better positions um, just by kind of doing a little bit extra study. And um, and again, like I think Scott has put this offense in a good spot based on OTAs and minicamp. But I would like to see I would like to see him push that envelope more because I think there's more on the bone there. I would like to see them do that so that the defense has to practice against pick plays in practice. And then maybe, Correct. maybe for the first time in the seven years that I've been here, they'll cover one in the red zone. <laughs> that's, that's probably a little harsh, but it's not as harsh as people want it to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, seen many a picks, many, many, a, many a pickers, many a picked. Yeah. Uh, all right, if you want more from us, at Hoffman Show on Twitter, at Logan underscore Paulson82 on Instagram. I think, I think after uh, my, my begging and pleading in the last podcast and then cutting the video clip and sending it to you where I was begging and pleading on your Instagram, we got like a couple of people. So that was Oh, no. Nice. Dagger. Dagger. Just got to be um, more consistent with it. I know. I guess. I guess. Here, look at you giving me uh, social media advice. I'll get. I'll get us. I'll get us plane in the sky and little like do the smoke signal. That's the that, next step. That or a billboard. You know, <laughs> seems seems easier. Uh, I, I don't know. What does a billboard go for? How expensive could a billboard be? I don't know. Be? It can't be there, as much as it used to be. No. I, I also something I've noticed. I don't think there are like I don't know if there's laws against it. There just aren't that many in this area. Yeah. Like. Yeah. 
all of a sudden you go up to like Philadelphia and there's billboards yeah, everywhere. Like I go back home to South Carolina, there's billboards everywhere. And then I get here, I'm like, wait, there's none. Not that many. Yeah. No. So maybe they're maybe very expensive they're... here. <laughs> maybe, but we'll get you one. We'll make it happen. Okay, excellent. All right, uh, or all of you listening can just follow along at Hoffman Show. Follow Logan at Logan underscore Paulson eighty two. That's on Instagram. Hoffman Show is on Twitter. And again, if you want more on the Dan Snyder story, make sure that you check the Hoffman Show podcast, which is now available on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you are listening to this podcast. We will be back. I'm not sure which day next week, but Jordan Reed's going to join us next week, I think on Thursday. So we're really excited to have Jay Reed on, a guy that Logan played with, a guy that I covered, uh, obviously knows the tight end position so well and played it at a high level for a really long time. So we'll talk to Jordan about tight ends and, and what's been going on at that position here, as well as what he's up to away from football now that he is retired. And uh, we'll see what else happens between now and Monday. Uh, probably mailbag Monday, get your questions in, et cetera, et cetera. Logan, it is, it is July 14th, which means we are 14 days from July 28th, and that's when training camp opens. Dang, I didn't realize it was that close. Two weeks. That'll be fun. Two That'll weeks, be fun. my friend. Uh, football, football desert, it's almost over. We see the, yeah. uh, we see the oasis out there in, in, in the future. <laughs> so uh, we look forward to, to that and uh, look forward to seeing you guys next week right here on Take Command.